Most of you are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. It's not my goal to rehearse that story, but just to remind you that it is found in 1 Samuel 17. You'll remember that Goliath was a soldier in the Philistine army, and he was a bad dude. That's the only way you can put it. Uh, He was tall, uh, some estimate nine feet tall, six inches. So maybe the Atlanta Hawks could have used him. (laughs) I'm sure the Lakers could have used him. But he had armor that weighed over 125 pounds. He had a spear that weighed from 15 to 17 pounds. He had a helmet that was made of bronze, shin guards made out of bronze. He was fit for battle. And he challenged the nation of Israel to a one-on-one battle. Uh, Not the Philistines against Israel, but Goliath against one of the nation of Israel. And it seemed like it was a hopeless situation. But David answered the call. Shepherd David. And Saul was kind of reluctant, thinking that David wasn't capable. But the bottom line is, David said he would fight Goliath. Saul, the king at the time, gave David his garment his armor, and David said, that I, I can't use this. It's not fitting, it's not proper, it doesn't fit, hasn't been tested. And so he basically went into battle without armor. And Goliath just kind of laughed at him. <laughs> he just laughed at him, really. And, uh, and just basically told David, what do you think you're doing? You're going to come against me? I'm nine foot six. I got on this heavy armor, and you're going to come against me with sticks? And David responded in 1 Samuel 17, 45, with these words. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have taunted. And David even added that the battle is not mine, but the Lord. And you know what happened. David took a stone, hit Goliath in the forehead, and it sunk deep in his forehead, and he died. But but what I want to remind us of is that there are times uh, when we are in life that we are prone to rely upon the wrong armor. We've been pointing out the fact that we are in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual battle. And, And some of us might want to use armor provided by man. We might be prone to forget that God has provided armor 
for the spiritual battle that we're in. Remember in the verses that we looked at previously in verses 10 through 13, Paul twice said, put on the full armor of God. Take up the full armor of God. And so we're in a battle. There is a war going on. It's invisible. It's spiritual. It's taking place. And and Paul is telling us how we can be successful in the battle. And the key, he says, is putting on the full armor of God. Don't rely upon man's armor. Don't rely upon the psychologist's armor. Don't rely on those who are educators, their armor. Paul says, put on the full armor that comes from God. So if we're going to go into the battle, and we are in the battle, we must make sure that we're wearing God's armor and nothing else. And so when we come to verses 14 through 17, Paul is now going to identify the pieces of armor. He's been speaking of it collectively, put on the full armor of God, but now he will speak of it piece by piece. It's not enough just simply to know we're to put on God's armor, God's full armor, but what is that armor? And so Paul identifies six pieces of armor that makes up the full armor of God. And we just need to remind ourselves as Christians that the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. We treat it oftentimes as if it is a playground. That we get on rides, we get on the merry-go-round, we get on uh, the swings. We're just having a good time. As if there is no battle going on. And, And Paul wants to remind his readers, he wants to remind all Christians that we are involved in a spiritual battle, in a spiritual war. And if we're going to be successful, from God's point of view, we have to put on the full armor of God. And so today I just want to talk about one piece of armor. And we'll be looking at these pieces of armor uh, sermon by sermon. But today our topic is armed with the belt of truth. Armed with the belt of truth. And in our text, Paul basically makes three recommendations for being armed with the belt of truth. If you and if I are going to be armed with the belt of truth, then we must must employ experientially the belt of truth. And what I mean by that, it's not sufficient to know the pieces of armor. We can't go to our spiritual closet and say, oh, there's the belt of truth. There's the shield of faith. That's not enough. That's not sufficient. And it's not enough to have the belt of truth lying around. It's designed to wear, to be put on. And I just echo again the words of Paul when he says, put on the full armor of God. Take up the armor of God. So when it comes to this belt of truth, it can't just be lying there. 
and just can't be available. It has to be taken up and put on. Now, now we've got to make sure that we don't miss out on the importance of the belt of truth before this piece of armor is actually identified. Paul commands his readers, stand firm, therefore. Stand firm. And we heard that term, that expression, stand firm, in verse 11. He says we need to put on the full armor of God that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The devil has his methodology, his schemes, his plans to work your ruin and my ruin. Paul says if you're going to stand firm, and that's the goal, to stand firm, you got to put on the full armor of God. And he even says it and repeats it in verse 13. Take it up. Why? That you may be able to withstand, to resist in the evil day. When Satan and his demonic beings come and shoot their flaming darts and missiles at you, you got to have on the full armor of God so that you can resist, so that you can withstand. And Paul says, and, and having done everything, to stand firm. And so now he commands them, and he commands us, stand firm, therefore, in light of what I've told you about being strong in the Lord, about being armed, about knowing your enemies, about fighting, now you must stand firm. That's the goal in spiritual warfare. The goal is not just to make it through, but the goal in spiritual warfare is to stand firm. And that's just not a goal in spiritual warfare. That's really a goal in the Christian life. God wants you and me to stand firm. That there might be stability and firmness in our walk with him. That we might be upright instead of crumbling and falling down. To stand firm. And so Paul says to the Corinthians... In chapter 16, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians, stand firm in the faith. In Philippians 4.1, in 1 Thessalonians 3.8, he says, stand firm in the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, stand firm. That's the message of the New Testament. Stand firm. Don't be waffling. Don't be shaking. Don't be falling and laying out. Stand firm. And the only way we're going to be able to stand firm in the midst of the spiritual warfare, the battle that is taking place, we have to wear the belt of truth. The belt of truth is crucial and critical to success in our spiritual battle. Don't misunderstand the imagery of the belt of truth. At least in the New American Standard Bible, Paul uses some words that we typically don't use. He says, having girded your loins with truth. Now, when's the last time 
somebody came to you and asked you, have you girded your loins with truth? And brothers, let me say to you, don't you go to the sisters and ask them about them girding their loins. Don't recommend that at all. We, we don't talk like that. We don't go around saying, well, I've been girding my loins. And so we need to really understand this imagery uh, that's in the Bible. Uh, you can find it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it's the idea of a kind of a long flowing robe being pulled up at its ends and brought up and tied around the waist. It basically allowed you to move with freedom. It prepared you. But in this case, remember, Paul is in prison. He's not waltzing through life. He's not doing whatever he wants. He's in prison. He's in chains. He's in a Roman prison. And there are Roman soldiers around him and watching him. And as he looks at that Roman soldier, he sees that the Roman soldier has his armor. And part of his armor was the belt of truth. And basically what that meant is that under all of the armor that that Roman soldier wore was kind of an apron that reached down below the knees. But when it was time for battle, when it was time to get it on, uh, they would tie the loose ends of that apron uh, around the midsection. And, and you could use it to hang other uh, pieces of armor. But the main thing is it meant that you were prepared, you were ready. You had freedom, maneuverability, etc. Uh, when a person did that, they knew it was time to get ready and to get involved in the battle. And Paul says, I, I want you to gird up around your loins. And the loins were nothing more than the waist or the midsection, kind of the core. You know, if your core is bad, I don't know anything about that because I don't go to a gym. But they say if your core is bad, you can't do a lot of things. And Paul is saying, you better gird up this garment, this belt around your core so that you're ready for battle, so that you're ready to fight. And so I don't like the way the New American Standard Bible renders this. I kind of like some other translations. One says, having fastened on the belt of truth. Another says, fastening the belt of truth around your waist. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, putting on the belt of truth. And so the idea is strapping truth around your midsection for protective reasons and for the fact that you can be ready for the battle. And it's our loins, it's our waist, it's our midsection that needs protection. And truth does that. And so Paul is in essence saying to us and to Christians, to the readers, Strap yourself with the belt of truth. Make sure it is around you and it is a part of your life. And please don't miss out on the implications of the belt of truth. This idea of the belt of truth, maybe it doesn't register with us. 
And, and even when we have our bulletin and we see a Roman soldier, we might kind of register with that. But basically, it refers back to the Messiah, warrior, to the, the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, as pictured in the Old Testament. And, and I want you to listen to this verse, because the Messiah, the king, the warrior, as pictured in the Old Testament, had a belt of truth around him. In Isaiah 11, verse 5, it says, Also righteousness will be around his loins, and faithfulness, that is truth, the belt around his waist. So we need to understand that as we put on this belt of truth, we're modeling the Lord Jesus Christ. We're modeling the one who is the Messiah warrior, the divine warrior of the Old Testament. And just like he had garment, we're to wear this garment. We are to wear armor. And we call it a piece of the armor of God. Why? Because God is the source of the armor. Now, what does Paul mean when he says truth? Because that's really the emphasis. What does he mean when he says, strap around yourself truth? I think a basic understanding is that it's just the opposite of that which is false, that which is a lie, that which is falsehood. And he's saying that in our walk with God, we need to employ the belt of truth experientially so that it's a part of us and so that this belt of truth is wrapped around us. And what he is arguing for is that truth is important when it comes to spiritual warfare. We cannot be of the mindset that truth is not important. Paul is saying... The first piece of armor you're to clothe yourself with, that you are to put on, that you are to take up, is truth and strap it around yourself. Now, the question is, what does Paul mean by truth? It's used really two ways in the book of Ephesians. And what I want to do in the rest of the sermon is just cover the second and third point of the sermon. We talked about that if we're going to be armed with this belt of truth that we need to employ experientially this belt, but now we need to realize that we need to embrace objectively the belt of truth. And what I'm suggesting is that when truth is used in Ephesians, primarily it is used in an objective sense. Things that we are to believe things that we are to know, things that are essential to the faith. It's also used in a subjective sense. That is, I'm to flesh out truth and walk and live my life in accordance with the truth. But the primary way that truth is used in Ephesians is in the objective sense. And we need to embrace that objective sense of truth, meaning truth, as Paul talks about it, is something that we need to believe in, 
something that we need to trust in, something that we need to hold dear and precious in our lives. And so I just want to briefly point out to you the verses where Paul uses truth in this way. In Ephesians 1 verse 13, Paul speaks of the Ephesians having listened to the message of truth. That is the gospel of salvation. In order for the Ephesians to get saved, they had to listen to the word of truth, the message of truth. That was the heart and soul of the gospel. You see, when we talk about the truth of the gospel, the the gospel makes clear truths about man and about sin and about judgment and about Jesus Christ, who he is, and about salvation. And we have to affirm and believe in those truths in order to be saved. You, you cannot be saved apart from believing in the essence, in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, Ephesians, when you got saved, what you did was you listened, you heard the message of truth. You heard the gospel. And the gospel is not fantasy, not fiction. The gospel is not lies. The gospel is truth, the truth. And if a person wants to be saved, they have to hear the message of truth and believe in it. But Paul goes on in Ephesians 4.21 and writes that truth is in Jesus. You want truth? You're not going to find it on the sidewalk. Truth resides in Jesus Christ. That's where you can get truth, find truth, and see truth. Paul says truth is in Jesus. And then in chapter 4, verse 24, he says that there is righteousness and the holiness of the truth. That is, the truth demonstrates itself in righteousness and holiness. And so all I'm simply saying, my friends, is that the truth is a set of propositions, a set of beliefs that you must believe in, that others must believe in. We have to embrace the truth. And what this means is more than just at salvation. Yes, I have to hear the gospel, I have to hear the truth in order to be saved. But once I'm saved, I still need to hear the truth of the gospel. I still need to rehearse the gospel in my walk with God. As a soldier in the army, I can't leave that truth just to when I got saved. I must make sure that that truth is a part of me day in and day out. And as the song says, the hymn says, tell me. The old, old story. Tell me the old, old story. And and as Christians, that's what we want to hear day in and day out. We want to hear the old, old story. That story that we believed in when we got saved. But we want to hear it each day because it's precious to us. It's valuable to us. It's meaningful to us. And, And I love one of the stanzas in that song. Tell me the story slowly that I may take it in. That wonderful 
redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often. Tell me lest I forget it soon. The early dew of morning has passed away at noon. Tell me the old, old story. How much do you preach the gospel to yourself? I'm not asking you to get saved all over again. I'm asking you, do you glory in the wonderful gospel story, in the wonderful gospel message? Do you glory in the message of truth about salvation? As soldiers on the battlefield, there is a place for embracing objectively the belt of truth. We must continue to to glory in God's great love toward us, demonstrated in Christ's death on the cross. That should never, ever be something that becomes old hat, that we yawn about. I've heard that. No, tell me the old, old story. I want to take it in slowly. I want to take it in often. Because that is the glorious story of my redemption from sin. And Paul is saying that if you're going to be successful in standing in the battle, when it's all said and done, when you have lived your last day, will you be standing? And if you're going to be standing, it requires that you embrace the truth of the gospel on a regular basis. But lastly, there's another aspect of truth that Paul speaks of. Not objective truth, but subjective truth. And so the last thing that I want you to see by way of implication from our passage, that if you and I are going to be armed with the belt of truth, we must exemplify subjectively the belt of truth. And all I mean by that, we must live the truth. We must live the truth. As Christians, it is not enough just to know the truth. It's not enough to have intellectual knowledge of the truth. The truth must filter down from the head into the heart. And so when Paul talks about truth in this book, he also talks about truth being fleshed out in one's life. And so when you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Paul writes some important words. After saying that we are to put off the old self and put on the new self, he says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Did you hear? He says we're to do something with truth. And what we are to do is speak truth with one another because we're part of the same family. We're members of the body of Christ. And, and to speak truth means that you laid aside falsehood. That is, you laid aside lying. And, and having laid aside lying, each one of us has a responsibility to speak truth with each other. 
Our lives are to be a manifestation of truth. Speaking truth. The the words that come out of our mouth must reflect our Savior, must reflect the word of God. Paul also uses truth in Ephesians 5, 9 to talk about the fruit of the light, which is true. Fruit. That's what hangs on the tree. And so what hangs on our life ought to be truth. So when people come to our lives, they see different fruit. And one piece of fruit that they see is truth. That's what our lives are producing. That's the fruit of being in the light. But, but I think the verse that is really important and significant is in Ephesians 4.15. Every verse that we've looked at that I've mentioned has been using truth as a noun. But Paul also uses it as a verb. And it's only used twice that way in the New Testament. In Galatians 4.16, Paul says to the churches of Galatia, I spoke the truth to you. And then he raises, has that made me your enemy? Because I told you the truth? Are you mad with me? Are you upset with me? And then in Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, speaking the truth. That's a key. If the body of Christ is going to grow up and mature, we're going to have to be speaking the truth. That's how it happens. That's one of the means of growth that God uses, speaking the truth. And I know some of you are saying, I, I speak the truth. I tell it like it is. If you're ugly, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> if your breath is bad, I'll let you know. But we've taken that phrase, speaking the truth, out of its context. Paul says, speaking the truth, what? In love. And many times we might be telling the truth, but we ain't doing it in love. We're we're not doing it because we are seeking the best possible good for that individual. Oh, we're telling it like it is. We're letting people know what happened. We might not be stretching the the truth, but, but what we're saying, is it done in love? Am I saying these things because I love my brother or sister in Christ? Or am I just saying these things because I'm hurt and I'm going to hurt you? And Paul says, speaking the truth in love. The body will never grow if we're not speaking to each other the truth in love. If we are ignoring people's sins, if we're not willing to challenge them, admonish them, and point out error in the life, or encourage them, or help them when they're weak. The body won't grow. And so Paul says truth is not just something that we must know, but it's something that we must speak. It's something that we must practice. It's something that we must give evidence of. And so when you look at other books of the New Testament, it talks about living a life of integrity, a life of wholeness, It talks about living a life of faithfulness and dependability. That's all a part of exemplifying subjectively the truth. Yes, 
We need objective truth, and we are to believe in it. And I think that's the emphasis when Paul says, strap on truth. But there also must be the exemplifying of truth, the practicing of truth. And the key way that Paul explains that is in the words that come out of our mouth. Are the words that come out of my mouth designed to edify the person, to build them up, to give them grace? If you're speaking the truth in love, it is. But if you forget that vital addition of in love and you're just speaking the truth, sometimes your words are doing nothing but harming and damaging and slandering and cutting up individuals. Speak the truth in love. Let me close by just making a couple points of application with regards to being armed with the belt of truth. First, embracing the truth requires that we must first learn the truth. You can't believe what you don't know. The arch enemy of our souls, the devil, wants us to be ignorant of the truth. Jesus exposed the devil in John chapter 8, verse 44. Uh, He basically pointed out that the devil does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. That's a powerful statement. There is no truth in the devil. And then he goes on to say that the devil only speaks lies. And he declares that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. That's the arch enemy of your soul. That's the one who's at the head of the spiritual battle. He and his demonic beings likes to use human beings, us, in the battle to bring ruin and destruction to the people of God. But Satan is the master of deception. He's the master of lying. Nobody can outlie Satan. He's the master of deception and deceit. And he knows he's got you if you don't know the truth. Yesterday in our new members class, we talked about the fact that there are people who are well-educated, who have several degrees, and you can even call them doctor. And we value education. Now, thank God for those who have got your education and excelled. Nothing wrong with that. And I think all of us value education from an academic point of view. I don't think we would be happy at all if there's an adult who only graduated from kindergarten academically. So there are individuals who have used the ability that God has given them 
and have progressed through the school system, graduate school, et cetera, and they even have master's degrees and doctorates. And we commend them for that. But somehow when it comes to spiritual education, we don't mind being in kindergarten all of our life as Christians. We don't. Some of us don't know Joe from Job. (laughs) If you don't understand that, there's a reason. (laughs) But education spiritually, we would be disappointed and sad to find somebody who was an adult today who is in, who, who only has a kindergarten education. But yet we don't mind at all to have only a kindergarten education spiritually. And so just like we work hard to get our degrees so we can work that job, we need to work hard to get our spiritual education so that we can win the spiritual battle in war. You're not going to be very spiritually educated if all you do is come to Fairview once a week or a couple weeks and listen to a sermon. I would love to tell you, that's like you sitting in a class that meets 15 times during the semester. You only come once. And you don't take any notes. All you do is listen. You're a little bit tired. You're a little bit weary. Want the guy to finish preaching, etc. But you apply that in the academic realm, failure. You're not going to get very far. And so we need to understand when it comes to the spiritual room, it takes effort. And so one of the things that I want to encourage you, Fairview, is that you need to be educated spiritually. Satan wants to keep you ignorant. Satan wants to make sure you don't know the truth. Satan wants to make sure that it's easy to shoot his fiery darts and use his schemes on you because you cannot recognize the truth. And so at Fairview, we try to have opportunities for people to learn the truth, to know the truth, because that's good for your well-being. And so we have Sunday school. So we have Wednesday night. We have Los Angeles Bible Training School. These are opportunities to be educated. Some of you are content being in kindergarten spiritually. And I want to encourage you, graduate from kindergarten. Make it to primary school and middle school and to high school and even college and graduate school. Make it your lifelong aim that you're going to know the truth. Is it going to happen overnight? Is it going to take some work, some effort? Yes, it's going to take time. But didn't, when you got your college degree, didn't it take time? Didn't it take long hours of study? Burning the midnight oil, writing all those papers, etc. And then some of you went further and it took even more time. And you went even further and it took more time. And yet we come to the Bible and think, oh, I'm going to know everything in one hour. In one sermon. It ain't going to work. And the problem 
it is. It's not that it's not a big deal. The problem is we will not be able to stand because we have not embraced the belt of truth. We do not believe in the truth and know the truth. And let me just quickly mention one other thing as a point of application. God wants his children to exemplify the truth. He wants us to live it out. It's no need having a Ph.D. spiritual education in your flunking in daily living. The truth that's in your head, and God wants it to start there, is to get into your heart and manifest itself in your hands and how you live. The problem sometimes with Bible churches, we know the truth, but we're not living it. There are things that we see in the Bible and we know it's in the Bible and it says that it's clear as black and white and we don't do it. We have to exemplify the truth. We have to live lives that show people that the truth matters. So if the Bible says something is wrong, we don't do it. If the Bible says something is right, we do it. Our, our knowledge is to lead to practice of the truth. So let me quit meddling and close in prayer and encourage you to be armed with the belt of truth. Let's pray.